This is the final phrase of the Apostles' Creed, the life everlasting. Amen. As we have looked at this earliest listing of the basic beliefs of Christianity, we've stated that God, the creator of the universe, is our Father. Jesus, God's only begotten Son, is our Christ and Lord. He was conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We have spoken of our belief that Jesus endured suffering, crucifixion, and death under the Romans, but did not stay in the grave. He rose again, ascended to heaven, and sits at the Father's right hand. We have proclaimed that this same Jesus will return and will judge the living and the dead. We have also stated that we believe in the Holy Spirit, who teaches, guides, and empowers us. We have spoken of a universal union of those who believe in Christ and the communion and fellowship we have with them. Two weeks ago, we looked at the forgiveness we have through Christ's sacrifice. And last week, Buzzy taught us about the hope that we have of our resurrection. This week, we're going to finish our study with what could be called the culmination, the life everlasting. When we decided on this subject for a sermon series, quite a while ago, we started this in July, so it's been almost five months, we were hoping that it would be more than just an academic study of a set of beliefs. And I think the others would agree with me when I say that if something we say we believe doesn't affect our day-to-day, then we really don't believe it. Because we believe these things, because we hold to them, we should live like children of God who follow the King and are guided by the Spirit. We should live as brothers and sisters who are one body, who are forgiven, and who forgive. Because we live in the resurrection, we have hope that those who don't know Christ don't have, and we don't despair. As we look at what it means to believe in the life everlasting, it's my prayer that this will sink down into our hearts and cause us to live in the power of that everlasting life. So what does the term everlasting life mean? How is it different, or is it different from eternal life? And there are a lot of verses in the scriptures that contain either eternal or everlasting. Sometimes it depends on the translation that you use. For instance, John 3.16 is translated everlasting life in some translations. Other versions have it, eternal life. Now, I was taught that the difference is that everlasting life starts at a point and goes forever, while eternal life obviously has no beginning and end. It's always been. In other words, it's God's life. He's always been. And I think there's some merit to that. But I'm not sure that the two words are mutually exclusive. I believe that everlasting and eternal kind of run together. And the difference may be more qualitative. I don't know. Well, Jesus tells Nicodemus 
that he came to give everlasting or eternal, depending on your translation, life to those who believed on him. There are other translations with different wording, but we'll get to those later. So what did Jesus mean? Well, if you ask many Christians in the 21st century that question, they might reply that Jesus came so that those who believe in him will go to heaven when they die and live there forever. And that's pretty much the gospel that's been preached, in some circles at least, for at least the past 70 to 100 years. Now it is true that trusting Jesus as our Lord gives us an eternity with him in heaven. But I think there's much more to this life everlasting. In John 17, 3, Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. In the preceding verse, Jesus states that he is the one who has the authority to grant us eternal life to those the Father gave him. So what does it mean to know God? Well, it's not knowing a set of propositions about God. It's not knowing a series of doctrines about God. Jesus told the Pharisees that they searched the scriptures diligently, but they missed what they were all about. They memorized the Torah. They knew every nook and cranny of the law and the prophets. And they knew everything their favorite rabbis taught about them. They spent many hours debating obscure points of the laws. Maybe like how many angels could dance on the head of a pen. I remember a discussion in one of our Bible classes in college over whether God's throne was literal or figurative. We had these married students that would come in and hijack the class with discussions like that. It's crazy. The Jewish leaders knew God, but they didn't know God in the sense of Jesus' name. I know Dwight Eisenhower. I met him when I was three years old, and I do remember some of it. I know he was president. I know he had a big Christmas tree in the White House for the Christmas party for the staff. Impressed? Don't be. I might know him a bit better than most, but I don't know him. We met, I think I was told at least, that Mamie held me. I was only three years old. And I remember vaguely the, the tree, and that was about it. So I don't know Dwight Eisenhower. I don't know him with an intimate knowledge. I know my coworkers, but not real well. I know all of you all a lot better. But there's a knowledge that's deeper and more intimate. That's how I know Jan. That knowledge is there because we're a part of one another. We share life in ways that only a husband and wife can. That kind of knowing God is what Jesus is talking about. That's what is eternal life. It's God's life in us. Like a husband and wife become one flesh, become one entity in a sense. It is sort of the same with us and God. We have become one spirit 
not, not trying to get too mystical there, but we have God's life in us. And Jesus prayed that we would be one, just like he and the Father are one. And we share that life with God in ways that someone who doesn't follow Jesus can't. It's not just part of who we are. It is our identity. Paul wrote that we are crucified with Christ. And Christ now lives in us. It's Christ's life that courses through us. His spirit is the animating force in us. The early believers were called Christians, Christ ones, because when the world looked at them, they saw Christ. They knew God intimately, and his eternal life was theirs. Now, if we belong to Jesus, we have eternal life now. It's not something that we have to wait for. When we come to faith, it's not a matter of saying a prayer, repeating a phrase, and then going on with life as usual, waiting for a home in the sky. I can remember hearing preacher after preacher talking about all the people that were in the churches, Christians who weren't living for Christ. All they, they, They're going to heaven, but they're not living for Christ. And I eventually started thinking, maybe they don't know Christ. Because if all you have is something way off there and it doesn't affect your day to day, maybe you don't have it. I don't know. I saw a church. It's actually known as the Rapture Ready Baptist Church. And I remember thinking, if that's all there is, why even go to church? You know, why not just live your life knowing that, hey, I'm going to get there? That's the problem with that type of thinking. Well, faith in Jesus as the Christ, the King who calls us to follow him and who alone can grant us forgiveness, is laying down our sword, confessing that we've been giving ourselves to the wrong gods and falling at the feet of the true King, pledging our allegiance to him. Then we become a child of the Father, and his eternal life is ours. It becomes our life, our animating force. As we grow in Christ, we become more and more like him. Like a child that has many of the characteristics of their parents. We develop the characteristics of our father and our brother. When people see us, they see more and more of Jesus. When he comes again, we will be made completely like him. We'll see him as he is. But we don't have to wait for that process to begin and to continue. N.T. Wright, in his Kingdom New Testament uh, translation, translates eternal life in John 3.16 as the life of God's new age. And in John 17, 3, as the life of God's coming age. When we come to Christ, we enter into God's kingdom, which has broken into time and history, and is continuing to break in. We see it all the time. We don't have to wait for the kingdom to come. 
yet we are waiting for it. We live in that time of already, but not yet. When Jesus returns, we shall know and be known. We will see him as he is and be like him. We also have the privilege of knowing him and becoming like him now. We have a present hope and a hope for the future. So what is that hope for the future? Is it floating on a cloud beyond the blue? The golden mansion, silver lined, I think is how the song went. Is it gaining a harp and a crown and a pair of slippers, golden slippers, as the old song says? No. The hope for the future that we have is resurrection. We're not going to be some disembodied souls floating around on, in some ethereal existence. That picture draws more from Plato than it does from Paul and from the Gospels. Our bodies will be resurrected and we will be in the new creation that God will make. Someone asked me if I thought the dogs went to heaven after Charlie died. And I said, well, I think the new creation will have animals. And maybe, maybe God will have our pets there. Who knows? But there will be that new creation. Scripture doesn't specifically tell us what that new creation would be like. But there are some hints. Try to imagine what Eden was like before the fall. It's hard to do, but try to imagine it. Now try to imagine, if you can, what the new creation is going to be like. Like Eden, but even better. Look at, you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That's the King James, some of the other translations have that. Or a new creation. Literally, the verse reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. In other words, the new creation has come. It's here. We don't see all of it yet, but it is here. The old has gone. The new is here. That's the life everlasting. It's knowing God intimately. It's having his life within us to transform us and make us like Jesus. It's a life that goes forever, yes. But it begins when we come to Christ and become a child of the Father. It's a life that motivates us to love our Father with every fiber of our being and to love those around us with a sacrificial love. It's a life that turned the Roman world upside down and is turning places like Iran and other countries upside down today. It's something that we here in the West seem to have lost sight of, and we've replaced it with a more Gnostic view of heaven and spirituality. May God grant us a fresh understanding of the real life that is ours in Christ. Now we have spent almost five months looking at the earliest formulation of the basic Christian beliefs. Let's keep in mind 
that this list is more than just a thing for us to keep in our heads, even if we have it memorized. But it's to have an impact on our hearts as we go through those things and we look at what we believe, what we believe here should be here, should come out. And we should ask the Spirit to work it out in us in our day-to-day. We can't do it on our own. We do not have the capacity. But we have the Spirit in us because of what Christ has done for us. And that Spirit gives us the power, works it out in us in our day-to-day. And may our knowledge of the Father and of the Son grow deeper as well as our enjoyment of the life everlasting. Let's pray.